What makes good sex good? <laughs> ah, great. The, the, the golden question. Trust and patience and talking. I wasn't scared to communicate what I wanted, and neither was she. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Peak, the talk show about what makes good sex good. My name is Robin, and today I am joined with my friend Ursula. Hi, what's up? How's it going? Fantastic. How are you? I'm doing great. That's marvelous. Okay, so why don't we start with you introducing yourself to the listeners? Well, hello, my name is Ursula. I am from Central Texas area, and we actually met on a film set. We did. Yes. Um, so you work for the organization Girls with Grit. Yes. Tell me about that. Well, it's been around since about 2017. Uh, the co-founders, Deborah Fluger and her daughter, Audrey, are the ones who founded it. Um, my boss actually ended up quitting her original job so she could have time to dedicate to Girls with Grit. Um, basically, it's an education-based anti-trafficking program. We go to middle schools and high schools primarily and talk to them about various aspects of you know, what trafficking is. We also talk about healthy versus unhealthy relationships, red flags and relationships, and even talk a little bit about resilience training or how they become, can become more resilient. Um, we even, we also, we go to like after school programs as well, but we primarily try to stick to junior high and high schools just because it's a more controlled environment. Mm -hmm. And we have this space to fully dedicate to doing this work. So what's your position within the organization? Uh, I'm one of the presenters. Um, I'm one of the ones that actually goes out on the pavement and actually gets to try to forge and build some sort of rapport with the kids mm -hmm. and just talk to them about different things. Um, usually the presentations are 45 minutes to an hour, and we usually have about five. Um, we go to each area like five times. Um, and so we just try to build rapport with them and you know, foster the, because usually, uh, to be honest, the first week we go, a lot of kids are wondering, what are we doing there? And what is this thing you're talking about? And do I really want to listen to this serious subject matter? Mm -hmm. And then there's a point around the second or third week where they realize this is actually important, valuable information. And we may um, give them some tools that their parents may not know to give or may not be comfortable giving just yet. Mm-hmm. And what tools are those? Um, so we basically equip them with the knowledge, you know, that because honestly, when most people think of trafficking, they think of like pimps and specific suits or strangers that are going to reach out and grab you and take you off to some foreign land. Um, but the truth is, it's often people that we know or have some sort of um, we might even have a relationship. So like, for example, one of the sort of games we play with them is identify the trafficker or the pimp. And so we give them like several, we get pass out several pictures. It'll be of people that look quote unquote normal. So you have someone in a suit, someone in a military uniform, a girl in a cheerleading outfit. And we try to see if they can pick out which one is the trafficker. And the trick to that game is all of them have been convicted of trafficking or pimping. And um, with that, so that week we also talk about gender roles and how media influences the way we think about sex as well as ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to gender roles, how like race or how you see someone's because a lot of 
people, you know, often think that it's primarily older black men that are pimps. But the truth is, it could be, you know, 70 year old grandma looking lady that is the one that is facilitating these or is the big boss. So that's one thing that we do is try to dispel like certain gender roles, as well as stereotypes they might have about different groups of people Mm -hmm. and just recognize that it could potentially be anyone and anywhere. And we don't do this to frighten them or keep them from living a fulfilling life. We just want them to be aware that these things happen and they happen on a fairly regular basis. Mm -hmm. So what are, in addition to broad awareness, what else do you teach the kids about staying safe? Um, One of the most basic things is to be aware of your surroundings. Um, One of my favorite things to talk about is talk about what um, what they may So another sort of activity we do with them is there's like a blank face and they write ugly names that they've heard themselves be called or other people be called. Um, So like, for example, someone might names people have called me fat bitch, horrible things like that. So if someone knows that I've been called those things, they may use that against me and um, try to like coerce me into becoming a victim. So like for some of the kids, their parents might call them stupid or ugly or things like that. And if they confide with someone, whether it be in person or online, that person will give them that and then they'll feel safer with them and potentially become a victim. Mm. Interesting. I'm curious. So I know that there are certainly some people who work as sex workers Mm -hmm. who do so willingly. Um, and that is a very different situation than people, especially children who are being trafficked and who are being forced to do things that they don't want to do Mm -hmm. or that is, uh, that are illegal for them to be doing. Um, do you talk at all with the students about the difference between, um, sex workers as professionals Mm -hmm. who deserve respect and people who are being trafficked against their will? But we certainly, um, I specifically try to make a point of that. Um, one of the things that we do mention is that if you're under under the age of 18, then that means they can't consent to certain activities. That's good that you include that. Uh, so what do you speak to the children, or sorry, the students, the young <laughs> the adults? Ch- the children. The children. The <laughs> they are the future. Um <laughs> How do you talk to the students about healthy relationships? What do you describe that to look like? Well, um, we start off with um, discussing like healthy, you know, unhealthy versus healthy. So we point out, you know, like, let me see there again, there's another activity that goes with that. Sure. Trying not to use those as examples, but that's Go what for we, it. That's what we do. Um, so we do have... Um, Before we even get to that specific part, we actually talk about red flags. So we'll give the example of a conversation someone might have online. So like, uh, so we'll give the example of a conversation someone might have online, like a typical, like conversations you might see. So like the 15 year old might be like, oh my God, my parents are, they just don't trust me. They don't, they treat me like a little kid. And so then someone that she may not know or may have not seen will swoop in and say, well, I think you're mature for your age blah, 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 blah. And that's just reinforcing those things that um, that she may not be getting at home. And then it goes into grooming. So that's one big thing we talk about. 
where that person gains the gains the child's trust and sometimes the parents' trust as well. Um, and you and it goes into like a sliding scale. It's a bit like the analogy of putting a toad in a boiling pot, right? Mm-hmm. If you put it in the pot um, while it's still cold or cool, it may not realize what's going up as you're raising the temperature. So yeah, that's slowly often. but steadily. Yeah, exactly. So that's a lot of times what abusive people will do. So in terms of relationships, it's it like in terms of the game that we play with them, it's pretty straightforward. We give them a like a list of we give them like uh, cards with words on them, and it'll say something like um, "You trust this person." So that is clearly an example of a healthy behavior within within a relationship. Um, jealousy that could be potentially a dangerous behavior within a relationship, and we talk about examples of that. I often sometimes I use either examples from my own life just to highlight that or if my other person who I'm presenting with will use examples from their life just to kind of talk about so the kids will know what we're talking about um and then so with that we talk about straightforward like healthy versus unhealthy so again trust um loving caring you feel that you can disagree with this person and they won't argue with you um and the unhealthy again they may belittle you, call you names. Those are some examples. And then within that, there's also red flags. Um, so that's things that may not seem dangerous at first, but could potentially turn into dangerous behavior if it continues. So that's one thing we talk about. Um, within that, it's like, so it encompasses a lot of things. So like the first week, we just talk about basics, about what trafficking is and what it is not. And then the following week, we talk about what traffickers look like and who they may be. And then we go into cultural things and where media influences. And within that, we talk about slut shaming. We talk about victim blaming. And so those are other things that could be potentially dangerous behavior or are dangerous behavior. Um, so they recognize that if someone that you're in a relationship is doing these things, that might be something, you know, just to look out for and recognize. Mm-hmm. So what has been your favorite part of working for Girls with Grit? Um, Just whenever the kids actually kind of start to trust us a little bit and open up and they recognize that we're there for their benefit and ensure their safety. Mm -hmm. And that's also why we talk about all the different subject matter, Um, especially. And I also enjoy talking with them about resilience training and victim blaming, because I think that's something most people may not recognize that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And you'll even see it in like 14 year olds. Well, she was drinking. Mm-hmm. Why did she drink so much? It's her fault. Mm-hmm. She shouldn't have been drinking that much. He shouldn't have done this. You know, he should have wanted it. He's a guy. Yeah. So just realizing that sort of like light bulb that goes off in their head when they realize, oh, this thing that I've learned, even not necessarily from parents, but just from society as a whole may not be okay. And even if they don't fully realize entirely that it's wrong the fact that they realize something is amiss or that something is rotten in the state of Denmark um that they start to I'm not making sense (laughs) sorry um I got your Hamlet reference gotcha um just basically I love talking to them about victim blaming um I love talking to them about resilience training because so often with these things even if you'll see it in the news you'll these people have been rescued from this house. They've been there for 15 years. What about the aftermath of that? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that they become fully realized individuals? How do we start that? We start that by talking about things that they may feel insecure about. 
I like talking to that to them about that as well because again people will use those things against you and we want to make sure that you know that that's not the to that's not the totality of who you are as a person there's so many things yes maybe this thing happened to you or these people called you this or you're discriminated against for this reason but the truth is you can use that to propel yourself to something and become a fully actualized individual mm -hmm. so how would you describe a healthy and loving relationship to a 14 year old um well, starting with basic things that you enjoy each other and you like each other. I mean, I know that sounds insane, but I know couples who don't like each other. <laughs> um, if the person makes you feel safe, if you make them feel safe, um, you know, that it is, it's, it's okay to get in disagreements or not. Um, it's okay to disagree with one another, um, just as long as that doesn't make you feel terrible or you don't feel pressured to do something that you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Um I don't know that you feel you can open up and be vulnerable. Very cool. Well, I would like to dive into the personal side of the interview now, if you're ready. Cool. Let's do it. Awesome. <laughs> so how would you describe your sexual identity and personality? Um, I would say um, that I am in the realm of being queer. Right on. I'm not really, I'm not necessarily a lesbian. I'm definitely not straight. Um, so I would say that, yeah, <laughs> I would say I'm definitely a lot like I, um, no, I definitely tend to prefer people who are, um, more feminine or have more feminine energy, but I am not opposed to dating men or people who are masculine presenting. Marvelous. Um, would you please tell us about either your first time having sex or a significant early sexual experience? Ooh, this is where we go deep. I'm ready. You're ready? Okay. I'm ready. So uh, to be, I'll be honest with you. So my first sexual experience was non-consensual. Mm -hmm. um, and so that has definitely impacted my life. <laughs> Obviously. I mean, it was, I was fairly young and it was an older relative. Mm -hmm. Not not my father or my uncles or anyone like that, but it was someone older who I had trusted and respected. Um, and that certainly has impacted my life even to this day. And mm -hmm. I'm still like tweaking it out and trying to figure out things and what to do with that. And so that, I mean, it was, it happened for a number of years, um, at least four or five years when I was very young. And there was a point when I actually said no. Wow. Um, yeah, so there was a point when I finally said no. I don't know what made me decide to do it, or maybe I knew before that something was wrong with it, but I wasn't f fully sure what. And then something was like, no, just say no. And so I finally was able to say no. Um, and so, and that was when I was about nine or 10. Wow. Yeah, I was young. Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that um, def, and then I forgot it for a number of, a number of years. Mm -hmm. And then I started to remember around the time he died. Interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. That's part of why I study psychology. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it makes sense. So something interesting with that is so around the time that he, around the time he died, like I said, is I started to remember maybe five or six months before he died. He died in a car um, accident. Apparently he jumped out a window. Wow. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> yeah, it was, there's a whole, there's some, Kind of funny business with that whole thing um sounds like a troubled person oh definitely and that actually that was around the time he started to become better 
Mm. He had started to heal more. You could, he was different. You could see the difference. Um, and so around the time that he died, um, and one of my cousins was born. And so like in a weird way, he has helped me heal. Like I feel like he's my little brother and because um, I don't really have siblings. And so in a way, he didn't, he sort of helped me heal because he was someone I cared for and I didn't expect anything from or want anything from. Yeah. And so in some ways that person, whether he doesn't know it, no one in my family knows, um, but he definitely helped me begin healing. Yeah. Wow. Who was the first person you told if you didn't tell anyone in your family? Um, I told um, one of my friends in high school and we're actually still friends. We've been friends since we were like five or six. So she was one of the, because we had told, I, she had also been abused by a relative. And so that somehow came up in our conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, we honestly don't really talk too much about it now. Um, but yeah, she's someone that we, I guess we, we felt we could trust and confide in each other. And yeah. Do you remember the first time you had a sexual experience that was positive? Yes, it was wild. Um, I'm not wild. It wasn't that interesting um it was <laughs> it was I'm like, sure I sort, of, was. I sort of remember the emotions that led up to me meeting this person and then um uh, we it was it was a great it was actually a great experience um and it was as a it was yeah it was a great experience um we had met like maybe a few weeks before that and it was just one of those nights that are a blur and like a dream and like a you know, Vincent Van Gogh painting and mm-hmm. just, it just swells up and things happen. Um, yeah. And then it ended pretty dramatically, which was also interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There was like, it was like February 14th and a bunch of gays in Wales crying and eating brownies. It was nuts. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would love to hear more details of this story. I've just well, got a Vincent Van Gogh was... painting of a meeting and a Welsh, like, goodbye. Yeah. It was, a, so yeah. So, and, um, it was, you know, I, again, didn't really, I'm, like I said, I'm still trying to figure out things just from my initial abuse. And so in terms of, I feel like mo- I didn't date at all in high school. I had crushes on people, but that was about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really into like getting amazing grades and doing well at my different activities. And so that I would say that, it, yeah, I was definitely kind of a perfectionist when I was in high school um, to some extent. Um but I was, I dated like one person in college and that was it. Mostly made out with a bunch of people and had fun, but nothing too intense. Um, but yeah, this person, she was just, um, she was definitely not normally my type. I can say if that, if I have a type. Um, but no, we met, I think she was a bit more extroverted than sometimes I can be, even though I'm like kind of right on the cusp of being introverted and extroverted. And so we met and I we were attracted to each other and she was really interested in me and I enjoyed having someone really interested in me. I mean, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so, no, it was, and then it ended rather dramatically um, just because, um, you know, we really weren't meant to be, Yeah. if you believe in that sort of thing, which I kind of do sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that whole time that I was there, I had a lot more sexual experiences than I had in my entire life. It's like In I, Wales. Yeah. <laughs> It's odd. I don't know that any of those were healthy relationships, but I had a lot of great friendships. Yeah. That's important, too. So, this person wasn't your type. What is your type? Um, I, um, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, she was just mainly tall. She was rather extroverted in a way that I'm not used to, even mm-hmm. though I do tend to hang out with 
more extroverted people. It's hard. I think it had to do more with her personality than her physique. Sure. In terms of that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But my type, just someone at this point, someone who's kind and caring, um, who knows how to, who can have a good time and is willing to explore and try new things. Mm-hmm. And so was she the first person that you had your positive sexual experience mm-hmm. with? Yes. Would you be willing to tell us anything about that? Um, you said, did you ask, I'm sorry, did you ask for my most positive or my first positive? First positive. Oh. We'll be getting to most positive Oh, okay. Next. I was like, no, it wasn't my my most positive. Um, it was just, um, I don't know, there was something with the youth and magic and something in the air that made it work. And just the sort of clashing and then melding of two different types of people that made it feel right. That was not very... <laughs> no, that was beautiful. I used to write poetry, too. That was a big way I coped. Um, well, I, yeah. it shows in the way that you describe things. Mm-hmm. Well, would you please tell us about some of your best sexual experiences? Um, let's see. Well, there was um, probably at this point, eight-ish years ago, um, there was someone who I had been friends with for well over a year. And... I'm not, we had been, there was sort of an electricity between us. Mm-hmm. And we definitely, like, we flirted all the time with each other. Um, and it just happened that night that we, you know, just sort of, we met up. And we just had an amazing time. And I kind of, there was a part of me after I left that I wished that I had stayed. Mm-hmm. But I think it was for the best that I didn't. Um, and then my most positive is actually the person I'm in a relationship with now. Um, just cause I do feel like this person, she's like one of the most kindest people, most giving, caring people that I know. Mm-hmm. And, um, we just, we, it would, again, it wouldn't seem like we would be in a relationship cause we are definitely from like, I, um, I'm from like central Texas and she's from East Texas and just, I'm, she's not conservative. It's just that that area is. <laughs> Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I'm like, is there that much of a difference between yeah. Central and East Texas? Not it's really. It's all Texas. It's all Texas. But are, where are you from? Oklahoma. So, like, same <laughs> oh, thing. <Oklahoma. laughs> no, I used to, so there was, so and this is weird, but not weird. So one of the things that kind of molded my ideas of sex have been music. Outside of the, my first negative experience have been music. And then all of the people around me that cheated. Uh-huh. So the first, uh, the church that I grew up with, um, that pastor, like, cheated on his wife with her best friend. And Ooh. they're married. They're still, and this was, like, a Small town drama. Oh, man, you don't even know. Like, there could be a whole, there is actually a small town crime podcast. But, yeah, so that's, so those are some things that kind of also shape my idea and made to stay away from that. But anyway, so my most positive experience is with the person I'm with now and we're just like willing to try things with each other because neither one of us is particularly like experienced. Um, but it's just there's just like a joy and love and a giving um, and a caring that I feel like everyone should be able to have at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds very nice. It is. So before I continue with my main questions, <laughs> can we take it back to the small town dramas so, that you I, just okay. touched on? So, this, so here's the thing. And I was a little nervous about this because um, I am usually, 
I'm used to asking questions and I'm used to people telling me like all of their business. Like I, I won't say where I was, but I was somewhere Saturday and this lady like told me her whole like thing about how she'd been sexually assaulted and about her kid doesn't know who the real father was. So this is, that's normal. I'm used to people opening up to me. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's like a stretch for me. And that's part of when you asked me, I was like, I don't know, but I'll at least try and sort of see how it works out. <laughs> Well, I appreciate your courage <laughs> and you're doing great so far. Yeah, I was like, but I feel like in the first segment, it took me a minute to like warm up. And I tried to listen to like sex positive music and stuff before I got here. <laughs> so I was like, which I listen to before I go to set anyway. Like I listen to kind of like what people would call ratchet, but I have a fondness for music. Yes. Um. So like I was listening to some Megan Thee Stallion and Wale and yes. a little sweetie. So, you know, big old freak, big booty, big old treat. <laughs> yeah, no, I just... <laughs> So anyway, so yeah, so small town drama. So yeah, I mean, I don't, my dad, I don't know if any of the men that I grew up with de- never cheated on a partner. So like, I'm talking my dad cheated on my mom. Um, that's why she left him. She was actually, some people can, and some people can't. My mom is like the best person ever, but that's a whole other thing. Um, so yeah, so my dad cheated on my mom. The pastor that I told you about, yeah, he cheated on his then wife with her then best uh, best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my uncle, most of them, if not all of them, have cheated on their wife multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, even one of my uncles, he and his wife cheated on each other. What's the point? <laughs> it's, and it's not like, because it's not as if these are agreements where it's like, yes, we both can have um, outside sexual experience with yeah, other people. Yeah, it's not like they've sat down and negotiated exactly. the there, terms of their polyamorous yeah, relationship. Uncle, yeah, Uncle Ruckus isn't like signing a document saying, yes, you may have sex on Saturday and Sunday with whoever, the fine chocolate thing over there. No, there's <laughs> none of that. Like you can, if you want Kofi, you can have them. Daniel Kalua, yes. No, it's none of that. It's like, it just happens and they find out and then they're just frustrated. And um, yeah, so that is definitely something. So it's almost normal. And it sounds like <laughs> this was all kind of like the neighborhood news, if you knew everybody about all knew. this. Oh, yeah, everybody knew. I mean, I, and I'm also very, I can be, well, I mean, I do, I take pictures. So part of, I am just naturally, I say nosy and observant and curious. Yeah, observant. <laughs> I'll go with observant because that's kind Attentive. of Attentive. Oh, definitely. But yeah, so, um, and it wasn't even like I was just sitting there in between the adults, like listening to all of their business. It's just, um, it's just there. So that was, I mean, that was normal. And so that is, and going back to my job with Girls With Grit, one of the kids, she was like 14 or 15 when we were talking about healthy versus unhealthy relationships, she didn't realize that cheating was unhealthy. <laughs> she just didn't. How did this conversation go? Um, we tried to explain to her that if there's, you know, there's not an agreement between the two people that you can have an outside like sort of relationship then it's not okay or i the first question i asked her is how do you feel about it and are you okay with this and she's like no and so then we went to further explain like ways that this that is unhealthy and that it's not Mm -hmm. yeah but the first question usually i ask them is how do you feel and what does this mean and how does that impact you do you talk to the kids or the students, I keep calling them kids. They're, like, they're, they're young adults. They're, yeah, they're um, wiser than me, yeah, <laughs> for sure. They're they're just young people. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you talk to the students about monogamy versus non-monogamy and ways to negotiate different styles of relationships? Or is that we haven't gotten, beyond the scope of your five lessons? It's 
it is beyond the scope technically, but there have been times when that's come up and I'll talk about it. But it's not in the curriculum. Like there's a specific curriculum we have, but of course yeah. there's gonna be times when it you know, other things come up, so we we're willing to address that and that's where life experience helps. Um, yes. <laughs> so, but yes. But back to the small town drama. Sorry. Always back I, to the small sorry, town I'm, drama. And that was another thing I was worried about this because I get I can go on a tangent. So that's kind of my, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was just like my, I mean, my grandpa cheated on my grandma. I don't know about my paternal grandpa, but I'm assuming he did too. Just because what I know about his personality. <laughs> so how old were you when you were learning about all of these indiscretions? <sighs> Under the age of 10. Like I was, not, mm. I was still in single digit age. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, I was single digit age. I was a small child and I definitely, I heard about it in further detail as I got older, Mm -hmm. but I heard about it when I was definitely too young to hear about it. That's for sure. But how how did your family talk to you about sex? Did they give you a sex talk or a relationship talk? Honestly, my mom was great. She, um, if I had a question for her, she would just explain it to me in plain common language. And then if I had any questions, she's, and it's something she didn't know, she's like, you can go to the library and check out some books and read about it. Did she, did she talk to you about, um, when your dad cheated on her? Like, yeah, when I was a little older. Cause I asked her, cause that's what I assumed. (laughs) At some point I got to the old enough to where I was like, um, cause even, um, they were only together, um, when I was like a bit an infant. Oh, um, wow. so I don't know of them ever. So you were a, very little. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever know of them in a relationship together. Mm-hmm. And, but, um, she never talked um, negatively towards him while I was growing up. It was just sort of, there's something I figured out and I'd ask and then she would answer. Mm-hmm. And she's as, as far as I could tell, she was, I mean, honest with me. So, yeah. And she was, yeah, like I said, she was fine with me reading or watching, you know, certain, like, some videos and just to learn more information if there's just something she didn't know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. When did you start to realize that you were queer? Ooh. When I, like, told someone, I was probably in 10th grade. I was, I think I was a sophomore. And what opened that up for me is that a friend, um, at the time, he came out to me as bisexual. Um, and so that let me know that it was okay that I could at least come out to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say probably a point in junior high when I realized that I wasn't solely attracted to boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the t- then I was just like, what is going on? What's this? What's this? What's happening? It was kind of like Jack Skellington discovering <laughs> snow. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I was just like, okay, I don't have the language for this. <laughs> But instead, it was you discovering your sexuality. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's this? What's this? There's magic in the air. What's this? Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> there is magic in, in the air. Exactly. So what, in your opinion, makes good sex good? Mm, that is an excellent question, which I knew you were going to ask, but still. I told you it was coming. <laughs> you told me it was coming. I even read it myself. Um, like in honesty and intimacy. Um, openness, um, willing to try something new mm-hmm. for funsies, even if it doesn't work out and you embarrass yourself. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> so, it does. yeah. So that's kind of the fun of it. Like someone that if you do try something and it's like, oh yeah, that, that didn't work out how I thought it was. You can just like look at each other and like laugh and just continue. You don't have to answer this, but would you, t- <laughs> but would you tell us about a time you tried something new um, and it maybe did work or didn't work? <laughs> 
<laughs> you can say no. Um, I'll say no. <laughs> I'll say Perfectly no. reasonable. <laughs> it's a very personal question. It's all good. <laughs> I was just wondering how. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm good. I respect it. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Marvelous. So you mentioned that music influenced the way you think about sexuality. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? Yes, of course. Well, um, some of my biggest um, musical influences are like, you know, rap artists such as Salt and Pepper, um, Missy Elliott, Little Kim, um, even a newer one. Her name is Megan Thee Stallion. Um, and so these are all artists. Hot Girl Summer. Hot Girl Summer. But yeah, so all of these, these are just a few. In terms of positive things about sex, these are artists that certainly influence that. Like with Salt and Pepper, they have a song called What a Man. They have their song Shoop, where they actually, it's women talking about what they find attractive in men and what they desire in men. And um, <clears throat> as someone who is a, I'm wearing a Wu-Tang Clan ugly Christmas sweater. I enjoy hip hop. <laughs> it's probably not my favorite genre, but it's one that I often feel like I need to defend. Mm -hmm. um, so with them specifically, I think either Janet Jackson or um, Salt and Pepper was probably my first CD I bought. Mm -hmm. And so with her album Janet, she talked a lot about sexual relationship and just women receiving pleasure and things like that. And also Salt and Pepper talked, like I said, about what they find desirable and attainable in men. Um, and especially, I mean, even now to some extent, you don't necessarily hear any genre, but especially hip hop music in terms of what women are allowed to find pleasurable or even if women are allowed to receive pleasure. So those are things that even though I didn't necessarily was going, knew what was going on at the time, I realize now that that is what allowed me to know that it's okay for me to receive this or accept it or desire someone. And then you have an artist like, Missy Elliott, who she has, um, she was like overweight and sort of heavy at the time. And she was like, yes, big girls, large women, fat women are allowed to have sex. We're allowed to talk about sex. We're allowed to discuss exactly what we want and how we can receive pleasure. And again, you don't, especially in terms of fat women, like usually fat women are like the brunt of a joke. And if you like see any comedy from the late nineties and early two thousands, the awkward skinny guy gets with the fat woman and that's funny. She's not seen as like a desirable person. And so Missy Elliott let us all know, I'm fat, I'm black, I love sex, and this is what I want. And even in my formative years, especially as someone who had been abused as a child, that's something again that was made me realize that this is normal, this is okay. Um, I can do this, even though I may not be as confident as them. Maybe I can. Sometimes before I go to an interview or before I go to like to set, I'll listen to like rap music to pump me up <laughs> as a way. Like I'm not pumped up on set. I'm usually, I usually try to be calm, but it sort of gives me like an internal energy mm -hmm. so I can keep going. And so again, you know, um, you have Debrat. She was a bit more tomboyish. I even used to wear my hair like her. <laughs> um, she just, um, again, these, these people allow me to know that it's okay that I, I exist and that I can be, and that I can even be a sexual creature. And so then when you get into R&B music, even further. And again, if I'm just talking about women, you know, SWV, Escape, all these groups let me know it's okay. Um, and that it's not just this group or these people or these people who identify as this that um, can receive pleasure or give it. 
And it's not just it. Yeah. So that's that's a big part of what allowed me to know. And um, someone like Little Cam, who even um, during the time when she was more popular, she was with like that was a whole sordid affair with her and um, Biggie Smalls. But even as she was feeling insecure about herself, she still at least had confidence in her voice and what she was talking about. And so allow me to get through the day. I mean, I mainly am talking about this in terms of sex, but often a lot of times this music has allowed me to like go do something that I otherwise would have been scared to do or afraid to do. So yeah, um, I can keep going, but. <laughs> oh man, I've been sitting here just enthralled. I'm like, wow, this is so yeah. interesting. And so then you have, and then so it's just lovely seeing their influences. Mm. Um, so again, you have even Saweetie, who is, her name is Saweetie. She talks about a song called My Type. Um, uh, and it's just talking, telling you exactly what she wants when she wants it. I want this type of dude. He needs to have this going on. Um, and she was smart enough to use a hook from a song in the early 2000s. So even if someone doesn't like the song, they'll listen to it because it has a specific beat. It's from mm -hmm. Petey Pablo Freakalik. That's the sample she uses. So she's younger and I'm not, I mean, I'm in my thirties. I'm going to be in my mid thirties soon. Um, and a lot of people don't, I guess, I don't know if they don't want to, or they're scared to see value in younger artists that are coming up. Mm -hmm. um, and I think even if it's something that seems frivolous, like he's my type, that's my type. It's there's still like a value in that. And her telling us, because a lot of people in their early 20s or late teens aren't necessarily at the point where they can say, hey, person, I want to have sex with. I want this. I need this. I need you to give it to me like this or this isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just I just love the fearlessness that they're presenting, even if that's not how they feel. And again, you have someone like Megan Thee Stallion. She's a Houston, Texas native. I mean, you can hear the influence of certain rappers like uh, Pimp C from UGK. Um, he was someone who was, he mainly talked about like drug dealing and stuff like that, but he's someone who had a special cadence and his um, <clears throat> special delivery that I love. And she's managed to incorporate some that into what she does like into the type of rap music she makes. And some people say they tire. Let me know if I'm talking too much. <laughs> this is gonna be the highlight of the episode. It's my, I love it. I mean, it's good that you didn't get me started about photography because that's another, that could have been, that, that could be two hours. Maybe next time. Yeah, no, I know, I'm good, I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, so with Megan Thee Stallion, she's like, you often hear the complaint that um, she talks too much about sex. Um, or someone will say, oh, the music today is disgusting and gross. But I mean, Luke, they, I mean, they had a song called Big Booty Hose. And <laughs> I'm not even in like the, the early 90s. Um, you have like all these other songs like Tupac, I Get Around. Um, Biggie Smalls specifically wrote a song about all the women in Hollywood that he wants to have sex with and even referenced someone who was underage at the time. Mm. And she's getting flack because she's telling a guy she suck my pussy like <laughs> it just doesn't make sense that that's what is being critiqued and then you can go into a whole other thing about how black women's bodies critiqued and whether how they're seen as sexual but aren't allowed to be sexual mm -hmm. but yeah so it just in terms of how it's influenced me and how I, it continues to influence me um is it at least gives me the push to do certain things in my daily life and um just allows me to realize that you know, sex isn't this terrible, disgusting thing. It can be enjoyable and pleasurable. Um, and something that if someone wants it, that's they deserve it. So what's your opinion on Lizzo? Um, I, I enjoy Lizzo. I mean, I'm a band nerd. 
Um, I think I can tell. Oh, <laughs> no, but in a good way. I'm like, oh man, you have so many great opinions about like hip hop and R and B. I need to ask her about Lizzo. Oh yeah. Well, no, and Lizzo, and so I'm sure I don't I don't know when this is coming out, but um, there was a whole thing where she was wearing a few weeks ago at like a basketball game. She was wearing like a t-shirt and a thong and started twerking at a basketball game. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Some people started to critique her because. Um, they were saying it was family friendly and um, that it, you know, was going to harm children in some way. Yeah, that it was inappropriate for her ass to be revealed. I mean, but come on. I mean, people don't really care about children as much as they say they do. The U.S. hasn't even signed the Convention of the Rights of, Ch- of the Child. Just as a note, the you know, the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, it hasn't been ratified by the United States on a large level. The U.S. doesn't care. But then on these micro levels, people don't care about kids the way they say they do. I mean, Rihanna could wear the same thing. I love Rihanna. If she was wearing that, she'd be praised for it for being brave. Um, Oftentimes what people wear, dancers wear, isn't really a lot. And it's not seen as that. It's Mm. oftentimes when it's a larger or fat black woman or a woman of color that it's seen as this over-sexualized thing. Yes, you can be sexual up until this weight. You must be this weight to be sexual. And then after, above that, mm-hmm. you can't be. Was this at, was she performing? <laughs> no, she, she was, was just attending. She was just there. But then somebody invited her to twerk with them. Like some dance group or somewhere invited her to twerk with them. I think, I mean, I think she's trying to, I think she is confident to an extent. And I also think she's trying to project the confidence she wants. Mm-hmm. And why not? <laughs> what do you think of her music? Oh, I enjoy her music. I, um. It reminds me, yeah, I, I enjoy her music. I probably listened to at least a little bit of Truth Hurts before I got here. Um, I do, I mean, I wanted to have more depth as she gets older, mm-hmm. but overall, I enjoy it. And I think what it's doing and what it's trying to do for some people is amazing. Um, yeah, no, I love it. And I love that she's like bringing representation to band nerds, of course, <laughs> and fat girls. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I enjoy her music. And you can definitely hear like the, the influence of like Missy Elliott. And a few other um, people in like urban music genre or mm-hmm. realm in her music. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and they collaborated together. Yep, tempo. Tempo. Yeah, that's the name of the song. Of course, I know the name of the song, but yeah, that's my, probably my favorite one on that album. It's just, it's very danceable. Yes, I would <laughs> love to. I would love to see them actually perform it together. That would be so rad. <laughs> Agreed. But, um, yeah, no, I, I love her, and I just hope she continues to have a career and continues to grow. That's all you can hope for. And she's pretty, like, I think she's, like, in her late 20s, early 30s, so she still has room to grow. And, yeah, you can definitely hear other influences, and I, I'm sure she's influencing some people right now to mm-hmm. be something in the future. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to Janelle Monet much? Oh, girl. Yes. I was going to say, I'm like, because like, if you want to talk about, like, really amazing black queer female musicians. <laughs> Janelle Monae is my love. Whenever I used to, I used to dance a little bit. Like, I was in a dance crew, like, years ago. Um, and I, and I even did, a, I did, even did a little drag. Um, and I, yeah, she's great. <laughs> I love her. And her album, her visual album that came out last year, actually. Dirty Computer. Yes. There's a. <laughs> There's a, you know, and so you know Django, Django Jan. I, I yes. want to do like a photo shoot kind of with that similar color palette from my grandma. Ooh. 
Ooh, of your grandmother? Yeah, so, like, because she has, like, she's lighter than me, but she's she is 80, what year is it? 88? That would be so cool. So, I've been trying to, like, find, it'll be easy to find her the suits. It's just a matter of finding her, like, some of the thrones and chairs, like, mm-hmm. what they have in the video. But, yeah, I just want to do, like, a really quick, she's, um, because I did one a few years ago that was fun. It was, like, her with the head wrap with the cigar and stuff, and it was fun. Mm-hmm. So, I want to try this with her, but... Um, put a little bit more work into it. That'd be um, awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'd love Janelle, Janelle Monet. <laughs> Girl, I could talk about her for a long time. But, yeah. Now, she's yeah. great. And I love her influence and in what she's speaking about as well as her music. Mm-hmm. And she has a great voice. She does. And she can rap. I mean, yeah. what? <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> so, my opinion on Janelle Monet uh-huh. is I love her. She's, like, my favorite mm-hmm. artist ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked... I like all of her albums, and I noticed with the new one, the music itself was, like, it was more dancey. Mm-hmm. It was a little less weird mm-hmm. than I think some of her earlier albums were because she really, she had a wide variety of sound. Like, some of her songs would be sort of musical theatery. Mm-hmm. Some of them would be almost, like, a folk ballad. Yeah. Um and she just had a really wide range. And with this new one, it's more focused in sound. But I think she's being more true about herself and doing less of a persona Character. projection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because with um, with the Arc Android and the Electric Lady, she was very clearly like portraying mm-hmm. sort of a fictional version she of herself. She was certainly performing. Um, and not that she's still not projecting a persona because we all do, especially performing artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she came out more openly as queer and as pan. And that's when and she came out. Didn't she come out last year officially? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, um, I remember when I heard, I listened and watched the album. I thought this is like, I was like, I wish I had this when I was younger. Cause this is like mm-hmm. perfectly, this is part of who my fully actualized person is. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I think that that choice to make her mu- to make the music of this album a little bit more mainstream, but making the message more radical, was a strategic choice on her part to like try and get the message of like black queer android mm-hmm. love to as many people as possible. No, she plans extremely well and is strategic in what she does. Well, Ursula, I have gotten through. Uh, my four main questions. What I have left is, what have you learned over the years? Um, Specifically about your sexuality mm-hmm. and your relationship with sex. That I'm still discovering it. Um, you know, that it's, I don't know that I ever thought it was bad, but there was probably a point when I thought it wasn't for me or that it just wouldn't happen or work out mm-hmm. um, in terms of sex as well as like relationships. Um, but that can happen. It just, you know, requires sort of just being brave <laughs> or just trying it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't. If it does, it happens. So, yeah, just go for it. Marvelous. Just go for it. That is probably my life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm happy you were willing to go for being on The Peak with me today. It's been really nice to interview you. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Um, Yeah, I appreciate it. And definitely, um, 
Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank As you. someone who constantly listens to podcasts. But <laughs> do you have any closing words for the listeners? Thank you all for being here. I truly appreciate it. And I hope that I didn't ramble too much for y'all and that my country draw draws you in. I find it charming. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you all. Y'all have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Peak, which was hosted and produced by me, Robin Wheelock. Our theme music was produced by Johnny Manchild of Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. You can follow The Peak on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram at Listen to the Peak. For more information, visit us at thepeak.blueberry.net. That's thepeak.blubrry.net. If you want to support The Peak, you can make a contribution to our Coffee, Venmo, or PayPal accounts so that we can make better and more frequent episodes for you. You can also support us by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or wherever it is you listen. Thank you.